creativity can be expressed through our through art you know naturally or through business through relationships through our interests creativity means to me thinking outside of the way we normally see through our two eyes creativity is uh, expression a, a devotion to a craft and to continually test yourself and progress at it Creativity means the expression of an idea. I think this world is, and relationships are built on the ability for people to share those passions and creativity with each other. Thank you for tuning in to Killer Creatives. Hello, everybody. Today we are here with Henry Jerome Mendoza, traveling punk rocker turned mixologist turned barber and owner of St. Anita Barbershop in Richardson, Texas. Today we will be talking life on the road, barber chair therapy, and dad rock hardcore. Enjoy. Henry, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. Busy yeah. day? Yeah. Busy week? Absolutely. Absolutely. Coming, coming off the uh, winter storm, it's been just back to back. I mean, my appointments have been slammed. That obviously got people like... A lot of people getting a little extra, yeah. a week, extra week of shagginess yeah, going on there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's been, been very busy. Very cool. Uh, so to begin, do you want to just give our listeners a little rundown of who Henry Drew Mendoza is? Yeah, my um, name is Henry Drew Mendoza. I um, own a small company in Richardson, Texas called San Anita. Um, I am a um, hair cutter, as the, what I usually describe it, barber, hairdresser, whatever, um, of about 13 years now. Um, also a uh, washed up musician, um, did that for a really long time um, out of high school. That kind of led to me being in this career. Um, also been bartending uh, in the craft industry for uh, about eight or nine years now. So a little bit of all of that from West Texas, uh, been in the Dallas area now about 10, 11 years, and then Richardson for about three years now. What brought you to Dallas and then subsequently to Richardson? Uh, opportunity. Um, I had just moved back for, to Lubbock from Boston, and I, I was I just finished up cosmetology school and was just a, a you know poor hairdresser and uh, didn't really have a lot going on in Lubbock. My brother got a job offer uh, here in Dallas, and uh, at the time we were sharing a house and asked if I wanted to come with him. So I uh, moved up here, and then um, Richardson uh, came as a result of my son and, and, and his mother and where they live, um, kind of just finding areas that were a good halfway point for us. I co-parent also. And so, um, you know, finding an area that was a good middle ground. They live up in the suburbs. And so um, Richardson was this area that I'd always driven through mm-hmm. and uh, never really experienced. But I always thought, I always thought it looked really nice. And then um, moved here about three years ago now. And it's it's been amazing. I, I, I love the city. And, and nice. it's, it's been a really cool community to become a part of. And then obviously now establishing, you know, my business here has been has been really, really cool. The community been yeah. re- receptive. Absolutely. So much more so than I thought. I, I just had no idea there was such a great local and civic pride in Richardson mm-hmm. um, that I really, really um, have fallen in love with. You know, the only other part of Dallas that I really, really have seen that in is, has been like Oak Cliff, your Lakewoods, sure. you know, those areas where people really take a lot of pride in being from those areas and yeah. really actively support, you know, those those neighborhoods. I think Richardson is, is, is a really, really great example of that in the suburbs, you know, in, in the northern part of Dallas. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it's very evident even to, to non-residents. 100%, you know, the, yeah. The neighborhoods yeah. that, or areas that are Truly. That aren't like that. It's Truly. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, starting towards the beginning, music has always been uh, a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. How did uh, how did that develop? 
growing up, uh, I grew up in a household where we weren't really shown music, but music was always around. You know, um, growing up in, in large, mixed Hispanic and black areas, um, you know, there was just always music outside, always music in the house. Grew up going to quinceañeras and, you know, things like that and, and watching live bands play and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, Saturday mornings, mom would wake us up and, and it was cleaning time. You get your assignment and, uh, you know, there'd be everything from Whitney Houston, Earth, Wind & Fire, Selena, you know, I, gr- I grew up with a lot of um, 80s kind of R&B soul stuff, a lot of Tejano music. Uh, my dad was big into um, classic rock and country and uh, and then a lot of Tejano music as well. And uh, and so just growing, I just I just always had a lot of diversity in music and it was just always very, it was a soundtrack, you know, there was, it was just always around in the background. And uh, and so it just from from that point on, it just it was always very prevalent in my life. You know, grew up listening to Michael Jackson and a lot of '90s R&B and, and hip hop. You know, and then discovering you know Dre and Snoop and all that stuff. And then um, you know, as I got older and, and got into junior high, I discovered alternative music and punk rock. And and uh, from that, you know, discovered indie and hardcore. And the, the, you know, the world just opened up. And mm-hmm. then you know, so it's it's just always been a very prevalent part of my life. And cool. How did uh, how did you get into performing? Uh, that I started um, around the time I was 13 I started um, hanging out with like all these punk rock kids going to shows but I didn't play any instruments like I said we weren't really introduced to music so I I never had any um, any experience there but I I would always go to the shows and just hang out you know I I essentially became kind of the the roadie for my my friends bands Mm -hmm. Um, at a very young age you know 13 14 we were booking shows in firehouses things like that and um, one of my friends' were your, bands. Were your parents when I, aware of what you were? Doing? Yeah, absolutely. My mom. My mom was always kind of like she always thought it was kind of weird. You know, it wasn't really our what we had grown up with and what she had seen. But she was just always like, yeah, as long as you guys are safe, you know, whatever. And so she let us go skateboarding around the neighborhood, and you know, I let our bands through. And once I started playing in bands, you know, she'd let our bands practice in the living room, and never quite understood it, but always supported it, which was which was really cool to have. But yeah, yeah one of my one of my friends' bands broke up when I was a kid, and he was just like, you're gonna play the bass for my new band, and uh, I had no musical experience whatsoever so uh, my brother's girlfriend at the time gave me her bass and I just learned how to play by um, numbers and patterns uh, they would just tell me like you know second string third fret and then after that the first fret and then you know eventually over time you kind of start picking things up picking things up so eventually I just learned to play by ear and uh, and kind of found that I had a natural rhythm um, for bass and then that led to other instruments um, same thing with the drums you know I, I picked up a drum set and uh, never like I just knew how to play it from the moment I started playing. It was one of those things that just came very natural and felt like I should have been doing this all along, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of guitar and you know and uh, bass kind of came. Al- I had to learn a little bit more about about those and how to do that properly. Uh, but with drums, it felt very natural. And um, and so yeah, we just started playing in bands and you know that led into high school starting a tour and and you know recording and things like that getting involved in the local music scene very heavily and then um you know did that all the way through high school and into college and ended up leaving college to do that full time so and uh, and you know played music you know in bands uh, locally in um in Lubbock and then Houston later Austin briefly uh and then a little bit in Boston as well so when I lived up there so uh what quantity of time were you like a touring musician uh at first it was you know weekends summers spring breaks things like that you know that was you know we we started early so you know by in in high school it'd be you know school all week and then we'd have a show in a small texas town you know three or four hours away so we'd make a quick drive out come back the next day and, mm-hmm. and be back at school on monday 
Um, so you know, it was it was mostly like you know a part time thing. Um, and then in college, we start we were started pursuing it more seriously. You know, recording demos for labels, things like that, getting on compilations, stuff like that. So by that point, um, over those summers, we started trying to do it as full time as possible. You know, it was practice every day, um, shows almost every other week. Um, you know, it was as, as active as we could be. And then when I left that band and moved to Houston um, and started performing in, in hardcore bands, at that point it was full time. Um, you know, I was bartending to make enough money to get by um, at venues, but for the most part, it was like bands were the full time thing. You know, we never did much outside of you know playing mostly locally, but we got to play with some you know pretty good sized names that you know these days could sell out you know mid sized venues and stuff like that. But they were kind of in their early days, so we were able to book a lot of shows you know mm-hmm. locally in, in the Houston scene. And any, so I did any did, standouts of most memorable bands to play with. Yeah, um, let's see. Chiodos were one of the funnest bands that I ever played with. Um, this was kind of in the like screamo hardcore scene in its heyday as it was getting, st- I mean, as it was really starting to blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys were always just a really fun band to play with. We got to, um, they would come stay with me. I, I met the lead singer Craig through a, a My Chemical Romance message board actually. <laughs> and uh, we started talking and they were going on their first national tour. So I was like, hey, come stay at my apartment. So they would come into town for like a week at a time, and and uh, one of the coolest things we ever did was on on the fourth of July, set up our uh, our bands across from each other in our, our bass player's living room, and we got to go back and forth just playing songs back to back, and then like went outside and like fired off roaming candles in the street and stuff. <laughs> so really really cool um, thing to get to do. Um, that that they were one of the more memorable ones. Um, got to book um, Portugal the Man on one of their uh, on one of their first national tours as well. Nice. That was a really fun one. Um, a lot of bands in that scene yeah. that kind of like. Screamo hardcore indie scene. Uh, a lot of I, I was very fortunate that I, I had that hustle from my high school bands, uh-huh. and kind of took that to Houston and just tied myself into the local scene as quick as I could. Yeah, and basically would book shows anywhere I could. So I mean, we were playing you know skate parks, art houses, coffee shops in the suburbs, uh, wherever we could. So I was able to book some. You know, Houston is a, a quality stop for a lot of cool up and coming bands, mm-hmm. and uh, that couldn't quite get into bigger venues. And I had found this um, old metal venue called Cardi's that in the 80s had had like Metallica and all these like big, you know, hardcore bands when they were small come Mm -hmm. through, but had dwindled, you know, hard metal not really being a huge thing at that time um, in the in the early 2000s. And um, so they would have shows like once a week. And I started saying, hey, you know, I went approached him and was like, hey, can I start booking shows here? And they ended up hiring me on as a booking agent. And uh, so it gave me a place to be able to always book bands um, that had an amazing um, sound system. Their PA was incredible. You could get um, DVDs of your uh, of the sound the soundboard recordings. Mm-hmm. You could get all the bands could get a live show base a live album for forty bucks. Nice. Yeah, you just slip the sound guy in, uh, forty bucks and he'll give you your live recording. So it was really cool. Like a lot of bands would like get live albums. You know, they were on tour and stuff that you we couldn't afford to do that yeah, normally. Sure, so. Sure. Um, so it gave us it gave us a little home to be able to kind of operate out of and and, and a scene to kind of be able to create and move around and so it was it was, it was a really cool thing to be able to do. Very cool. Was there anything different playing music in the context of like that being your entire lifestyle and your means of supporting yourself versus you know just more as a weekend kind of hobby? Uh, I had didn't grow up with a lot of money anyway, so. You know, doing not having money as a musician didn't feel that different. Um, there were times where it would, you know, feel a little desperate. You know, like I, I kept trying to do different different things. You know, I 
like I said, I bartended here and there. I, I went to bartending school. I didn't really drink or have any experience with bartending, but I, I needed to do something that would still allow me the freedom to be able to play shows as much as possible mm -hmm. and uh, and make some money. So I did that for a while. And um, same thing, kind of didn't really pay the bills for a while. And, and at a certain point, my, my dad, my brother, and I were sharing a one-bedroom apartment. Um, and my family being as supportive they were, they were basically there for me. They were basically there so I would not be homeless mm -hmm. and, uh, and really just trying to support my music career. And so um, at a certain point, my dad was like, you got to get a, a real job. And that was actually what led me to hair. Um, I, I took a job at a hair salon because I had heard about lead singers of some of the bands that I was into that had um, gotten into doing hair and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I can, um, you know, have, have a little bit of free time in the evenings and stuff. I can, I can have funky hair, have tattoos, and it kind of fits the image of, of what hairdressers look like. So, it get, so I took a job as a receptionist. I had some clerical experience from college. Um, and so I, I found a salon in uh, West Houston that um, was hiring. It was just a little Vietnamese-owned salon, really cool little little thing they just opened out there and, and uh, they gave me a chance and it kind of introduced me to the hair to the world of hair so um it was it was you know it was it was it was you know you, you get used to hustling and, and kind of struggling and it becomes like a daily thing that you get so incredibly kind of just ingrained in and used to but it never stops feeling kind of desperate especially as a musician because you're just always itching to make it you know mm -hmm. you're just like you're one record away you're one this away you're one tour away or one show away so it was something that you you know you're constantly thinking about and thriving for but you kind of just get used to the poverty you yeah. know what i mean like it just kind of becomes second nature to you sure it's kind of the lifestyle huh. so it seems like the music and the bartending the mixology it all kind of was evolving back and forth at the same time or, mm -hmm. or you know skipping around mm -hmm. bartending in particular so you you know you needed a means of supporting yourself right it allowed you to kind of stay within the same scene uh you decided to go to bartending school what was kind of the evolution of your bartending mixology career uh subsequent to that um after th after that i um I bartended at that venue maybe five times total. I mean, but I always maintained my TABC certification. And so when I moved to Dallas, actually, I this, one of the salons I was working at, the owner would have little private parties at her house and things like that. She just started hiring me to bartend. And, you know, I was pouring beer, shots, wine, you know, nothing crazy. And then I discovered a, a bar across the street from the salon that I was working at called The People's Last Stand. And that was my introduction to craft. Um, you know, before that I was drinking vodka and Sprite, you know, mm -hmm. so they, but I walked into this place and just never left. I, I just, I fell in love with craft. Um, the, uh, the guys that owned that bar, their managers, the bartenders, they started, you know, I started hanging out with them, befriended them, started cutting their hair and they started taking me to, you know, bar openings around the city, you know, and, and, and I started to really get to experience what craft was. Mm -hmm. And after, after about a year or so of hanging out with those guys, they, st they started bugging me about getting behind the bar. They knew I had experience, you know, I'd kind of told them about that. And so they were just like, get behind the bar. And it intimidated me so much. You know, you look behind the bar at a craft bar and it looks like a library. And you just and, and it's just a library of cool logos and dark colors and you just have no idea what to do with any of it it was so incredibly intimidating to me that I, I refused for almost an entire year and I was turning down some of the biggest names in the Dallas cocktail scene at the time and it, it not realizing that I was doing that and um, finally they bugged me enough about so it if you weren't bartending in that scene why were so many of them trying to get you to uh, I think it was just I think I think they saw potential at, at that point I was 
at that bar a lot to the point that I had started to network there. Um, I start, it, it started out as like a small struggling bar that you can go in on a Tuesday night and there might be me and one other person in there. But then if a third person walked in, that's our new best friend. And if a fourth person walked in, that's our, our next best friend. And it would get to the point where I could show up with three or four coworkers and we'd end up with a table of 20 people. And it just started to take off and grow and there was this kind of little scene happening around this bar. And um, I think they saw the potential for that to translate in terms of, of just being involved with the clientele and, uh, and really kind of finding a home there. It started to feel very like familial. And, and, and so I think that that idea kind of really started to, I think it started out maybe even a little novel is like, you know, oh, the regular becomes a bartender, yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, but I, I, I guess they saw something and, and it worked. You know, we I started out just making my own drinks whenever I would go in and then eventually um, you know, at the time I was kind of starting to try to start my first company um, in hair. And so I wasn't always working full time because I was working on that as well. So eventually I kind of would start to pick up shifts here and there. And, and uh, you know, I would just start to learn. I had some amazing mentors there and, and um, guys that really just uh, really took me under their wing and taught me what that library of stuff was that I was looking at. You know, what I was tasting, why I was tasting that, why it stood out to me. And I just started to learn about balance and craft and, and, and all the things that go into that. And uh, that was just a game changer for me. I mean, just getting getting to be creative in a, in a whole new way that, that felt that was as passionate, felt as passionate about as uh, doing hair, you know, and it was like, oh, this isn't just something that feels fun. This is something that feels as, as uh, I feel as passionately about this as I do doing hair and, and playing music. Like the, these things all feel the same to me. And, uh, and so it just, it opened up a whole world for me. Very cool. So then what was, what was the evolution of kind of both sides of, the, of your bartending and starting your first company uh, at that time? Uh, it gave me a home to try things in. Um, the owner, the owner there, my buddy Cardick, was just absolutely so just incredibly, incredibly important in those early years of just giving me a place to try my ideas. Um, I would throw these. I've always been a very conceptual person. Always a lot of ideas. My execution might not always be there, but I can give you a great idea. And uh, at the time, I would try these very big concepted, conceptual. Um, you know, events where I like would throw a fashion show while I'd be cutting hair on the patio and and doing all of these different things in the same place. And uh, and they gave me a home to do that in. You know, I'd, I'd set up at the back of the bar and cut hair, and and we might raise funds for an event or or, or a charity or or have somebody's birthday party there and, and and do some kind of a thing. And that that gave me a lot of places a place to try out a lot of different ideas. And, uh, and so as I started bartending more in the city and, and started um, cutting hair more in the city and just getting out and getting to know people, I started u- utilizing that as a way to make more connections, open more doors. Um, you know, I would, all of my potential investor meetings would be at this bar, you know, sitting on the patio and things like that. So it really just, it really just gave me a home to try stuff and, and see what would work because I don't, I don't come from a background where those kind of opportunities are in abundance. So I had to think outside the box and get creative. You know, I wasn't even necessarily in a place in my life to start a company, but I had an idea and I had people that were willing to listen. And if I had a place to be able to talk their ear off about it, that was all the better. And, and so I had that while at the same time learning, learning the craft and having a place to throw events, do, you know, do all these different things and try out all these different ideas. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so what was that first company that you developed? Uh, it was called De Gratian Company. Um, it was a similar to what I'm doing now, a small one-share barbershop. Um, a friend of mine, Blake, um, had opened a salon called Hair Revival Studio, and he t- tapped me to manage it. Um, at that point, I had probably 
been managing salons for about eight or nine years and uh, so he, this was my first time starting something from the ground up so from day one I got to manage it with him and, uh, and and run the company and it was a really really cool experience that taught me a lot that I was able to carry with me after the first year of being open it was in a two-story house in, in Highland Park and um, they had converted a bunch of these salons into um, or sorry a bunch of these houses into salons back in the 90s and this was one of the last remaining ones on this block in, uh, in that part of Dallas and he after the first year they gave me the upstairs to the building and I turned that into a little one chair barbershop my dad and I spent about six months doing the build out um, you know put all the tile up on the walls and did all that and then ended up losing that space due to rezoning they started pursuing rezoning of that neighborhood to, for uh, residential use only and mm -hmm. so at a certain point Hair Revival had opened up a second location and decided to uh, move everybody over that way and so I kind of just lost my lease as part of uh, as part of my sublease as, as part of that whole transaction and uh, so lost that concept pretty quickly, but it, it was a great way to get, get the ball rolling in terms of just starting a company. Um, it, was, it was a great effort that just didn't get to get very far, but it, was, it, it, gave me, it taught me a lot, especially on how not to do things. You know, I, mm -hmm. I learned a lot of things not to do when it came time to start this company. What were some of those lessons you learned? Uh, really, uh, mostly financial, you know, um, because uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially ones that come from backgrounds such as myself, we don't we don't have a guidebook we don't have mentors you know I, I gain mentors as an adult but we don't grow up with people guiding us on the path to entrepreneurship we don't we don't grow up in in neighborhoods where there's programs that that facilitate learning about those kinds of things our parents don't own businesses our, our parents are very you know we're lower working class you know so at the end of the day it's get a job be happy and, uh, and, and, and focus on that. So when it came time to start a company, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it was, it was a lot of just learning, learning as I'm going and a lot of trial by fire. And so um, mostly stuff in the financial, the financial part of things, really making sure that, you know, when it comes to taxes, when it comes to your, your accounting, things like that, just being so much uh, more attentive. And you would think that stuff would come easy and be common sense to, to somebody starting a company, but it's not. Not if nobody's ever shown you. Sure. You know, I didn't, I didn't major in finance in college, you know, right. or anything like that. So it was like, I, I didn't know any of that. And so um, they were lessons that you have to learn the hard way. And, um, and so that, that was a big one. And then, you know, carrying over a lot of the stuff that I had just learned in salons over the years, um, a lot of those lessons really, really helped a lot too. But it, it just gave me an idea of what I was doing that was working. And, and a big part of that was my relationship with my clients mm -hmm. and, and what I was doing that wasn't working, which to me at that time was the entire image of the brand. Mm -hmm. It felt like at the time I was kind of painting a picture of what other people doing were yeah. doing at the time. And I was just doing it with my brush. You know, so it was me and it felt very personal, but it didn't feel like kind of self-referential to the industry. Exactly. Exactly. And and so when it came time to um, start this next company, um, it, it, the, the thought process from day one was this is going to be very, very selfish. This is going to be a portrait of who I am creatively, professionally, where I'm at in my career, who I am as a person and what I hope to achieve, not only for myself, but for the people around me mm -hmm. and uh, and for the community around me. And so selfish in the sense of self-expression, right. but unselfish in the sense of what I wanted to do on a, on a broader from a broader perspective. Yeah. And those were all things that I didn't even think about the first time around. So you know, it gave me it gave me a chance to and the opportunity to to uh, think about those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, along the way, you also uh, you will do haircuts, uh, corporate locations, mm -hmm. offices, uh, and things like that. How mm -hmm. how did that come about? Uh, out of needing somewhere to cut hair, um, when I, you know, like I, for what I referenced earlier, uh, being in management for the first eight or nine years of my career, I managed salons. 
Um, and working in management as a receptionist, I had seen what it was like for young hairdressers to struggle and, uh, and you know, fight with the salon over their clientele or have to sneak their business cards to clients, that, you know, when, when, when they're not look when the owner's not looking or when their back is turned or, you know, all those kinds of things. And I just never wanted that. I never wanted to... Um, to go through any of that stuff. So for me, doing hair was just something that I did part-time. And over time, that created some really cool opportunities. I started to meet you know, people in the creative scene in Dallas and um, a good friend of mine who's actually now my creative director, uh, Joshua, he, his agency, um, he was like, I need to have you come out here. We should try you know, having you come out and cut some hair. You know, we can set up in the hallway, things like that. So they had me come out one time and I, uh, I, I cut hair in the hallway and in the, in the back hallway of a restaurant in Las Colinas, basically. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's led to me cutting hair in some really cool areas. I got, I've gotten to cut hair on rooftops and along canals and in the gap and, you know, all the, all these crazy places. Mm-hmm. But it, at first it was just, I didn't have anywhere to cut hair. Yeah. And it, it, it went from being like, a hustle to being a really cool marketing thing that businesses act turned out wanted sure and so it's led to um pre-covid i was i was doing seven seven companies a month that i would stop at uh once a day or once a month and and cut hair all day and it, and it became a really cool cool thing because i can i can cut hair all day in this business and then still be be able to go back to my studio and, and take care of my clientele yeah and then that led to other opportunities like i have a, i have a children's a strong children's clientele particularly in the lake highlands area and so I would do the same thing with that. I would just go bop around Lake Highlands all afternoon, knocking out kids' cuts, you know, things like that. It, it started out as, you know, I, I didn't have anywhere to cut hair, and, and it turned into something that people, you know, that, that turned out there was a demand for. Mm-hmm. And so it's something I decided to tie into this business model as well, and so it's, it's a part of what I offer as a company. Yeah. So it's clear that you have um, entrepreneurial acumen. You, you have come up with some creative solutions to your, your business um, problems such as not having a place to cut hair Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you figure out how to serve needs uh, that most people aren't even identifying like you know going to these office buildings so you just talked a little bit earlier about how you know you didn't necessarily come from this entrepreneurial background that Mm -hmm. is you know working class and develop your profession and you know keep your head down and move what it where did your entrepreneurship come from where did that entrepreneurial spirit develop in you i think very very early on um my mom had my mom who the company is actually named after um she had she always had an on to me had an entrepreneurial spirit but has worked for the state of texas um in in uh for almost 30 years now and um but watching her motivate throughout our lives whether it be you know, getting kicked out of an apartment in the middle of the night or, you know, something, some kind of family drama happening. She always had this just hustle mentality that was just so incredibly just amazing to watch because we, you know, we saw some circumstances that people wouldn't be able to work their way out of. And she would be, I mean, we'd be in the middle, you know, in the middle of the night, maybe, you know, getting kicked out of an apartment or something. And she's looking at us going, we're better than this. And we, we, you will do better than this in life. And, and those, those kinds of things just never left me. Um, and so it became a desire to do more than my background told me that I could do. You know, when I first moved to Dallas, I was, I was working in salons in, in Highland Park. And, you know, I would call my grandparents and I would be like, Grandpa, Grandma, I just, I got a raise today. I got a promotion today. And they'd be like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't ask for too much. Just don't ask for too much. Just, just be happy. Just work that those kinds of things are thorns in my side you know those those kinds of things just do not leave me I, I put those chips on my shoulder 
and I carry them as motivation, you know, like, um, and, and those kinds of things were just like really driving in, in terms of my thought process of like, I want to do more than what they tell us we can do when we come from here. And, uh, and that's, that's still where I'm at today. You know, I, I wake up every morning so incredibly grateful to be able to do what I want for a living, literally, and choose my hours and all those things. But that chip doesn't go anywhere. You know, it still always feels like a boxing match. You know, it, it still always feels like a little me versus them mm-hmm. and, and kind of, you know, Saint Anita versus everybody, you know, even though you it it's more that that mentality that drives you. And that that that's where it started for me was <coughs> watching my mom grow up with just this total just hustle mentality and, and just hard work mentality and then seeing seeing that that working mentality that working class mentality my entire life just you know gave me that drive to want to do more more than uh more than what we're told we can do awesome so uh saint anita is mm-hmm. a new concept mm-hmm. uh named after your mother mm-hmm. can you tell us uh about with, about your new concept what is it all about yeah so um we just celebrated the one year anniversary uh this past september of uh, 2020 so opened in september 2019 um i was presented with an amazing opportunity about a year before that um with uh, communion neighborhood cooperative here in richardson uh for those unfamiliar they have a coffee shop co-working space and and restaurant bar and uh, as part of the expansion i was presented with the opportunity to open a a small studio here and um, i wanted to do something that had the communal feel of a traditional barbershop but that like i said earlier was felt very personal Mm -hmm. um and and like i've kind of said a couple of times for me that is my mom that, that that working drive so that was where the name came from and and the concept itself just i wanted to be a reflection of who i am professionally and and creatively right now and um so you walk in and it feels it's very modern it's very clean it's very open there's concept there's there's aspects to it um that aren't just cutting hair you know you you see the door and it doesn't say barbershop salon you know any of that stuff on there because you you know just from this conversation you learn i do a lot of things and i enjoy doing all of them with equal passion so the music component of the studio is is very important to me you know i i joke with clients a lot but i i mean this with all sincerity like 98 percent of the reason i opened a small business or my own business was to be able to pick the music (laughs) you know i it it drives so much of what i do throughout the day clearly i'm a multitasker Mm -hmm. so the entire time i'm having a conversation with somebody cutting their hair thinking about my schedule i'm actively listening to the music that's playing in the room and it drives so much of what i do and 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 again soundtracks my life that I, i i have to have that and so i wanted to create a place that felt open and bright and sunny and we have huge windows and 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 all of these things and you know the it was just creative self-expression and um and wanting to do something that that people could come in and you know i i have only have one chair in there but there's probably three or four seats in there where you can have three or four guys co-workers you know um or 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 best friends coming in for a bachelor party and have that camaraderie of what an old school barbershop feels like you know growing up i I used to uh, go to the the coffee shop with my grandpa on saturday mornings before my basketball games and um, I used to watch him and his friends, and it was the coolest thing in the world to me to watch these these old heads just sitting there, you know, holding court, you know, just just having coffee and orange juice. And they always looked so cool to me with denim shirts or polos and cowboy hats or whatever the case may be. 
and and they they weren't dressing cool or, or nice it, it was just that was just who they were mm. and they weren't doing it to impress anybody that was just that was just what they did and 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 they would just sit there and hold court and laugh and tell stories and my grandpa still does that he goes to the mcdonald's and has coffee every morning and, and chats with his buddies and uh, and i wanted to have something like that i wanted to have that feeling but with but with the creative expression that, that I'm presenting of who I am today, which it, to me feels a little bit more modern and, and, and open than the traditional barbershop. Yeah, totally. And so if you look inside your barbershop, you will still see uh, some liquor bottles in there. Yeah, how, how absolutely. Does, how does that fit in the mix? Uh, same thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that desire to pursue all of those things at once. Uh, right next to those liquor bottles, you'll see a record player, you know, and, and it's creating, it's, it's cultivating that culture. Uh, and, um, and so I wanted to be able to still be able to pursue that passion. So I, I still make cocktails for my clients. Um, you know, currently, you know, obviously the, the everything's kind of been pulled with COVID going on. But, you know, I'm, I'm starting to work on some bottled cocktail programs and, and, and just always want to be able to pursue that side of, of, of my creative passions. You know, I, I love making cocktails truly and, and want to always be able to do that. And so it gives me a place to be able to do that while at the same time be able to, being able to enhance the experience for my clientele. You know, I can provide them something that uh, feels unique and feels and feels special because it's being made by hand by somebody that that um, really cares about it. You know, more so than just um, going to whatever barbershop and, and being handed a scotch or a beer. That's great, too. And there's a fantastic market for that. But I wanted to do something that felt personal. And, and if I can express myself through cocktails as well and, and really round out that experience, then then, you know, to me, that's just going to make that much more of an imprint on my clientele. So. So I've seen speakeasy style bars in mm -hmm. the back of barbershops before. Mm -hmm. uh, your barbershop is accessed from the inside of a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty unique. Uh, what was kind of the story of the development uh, alongside the other brands uh, that you kind of operate alongside and uh, how's that been for you? operationally uh, man it's 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 really really cool and i'm so fortunate to have that opportunity um tim kell the the owner of communion um when i met him presented me with such a cool opportunity they were getting ready to move the coffee shop out out of the uh, restaurant that it was in at the time and create just a fuller experience for the coffee shop and as part of that extension he he had this idea what if what if you put a barber shop in here and um for me, it was just a no-brainer. You know that that kind of those kinds of multifaceted concepts are becoming just so much more common these days. Mm -hmm. That uh, as soon as he said it, it was like, yeah, let's go. You know, it was it, it just felt very exciting, and it was just such an exciting idea to do something that was a little bit different from the way these things are presented. And even to to your point, you know, having cocktails inside of that, it's almost like a speakeasy within a speakeasy <laughs> within a speakeasy. You know, so um, I you know I coming from the craft scene, I'm, I'm definitely used to going to uh, to speakeasies and, and have seen my fair share. So it's it's cool to be able to kind of present that same formula and that same idea in a way that's different and and it's been such a such an interesting experience there's you get people just coming in like what the yeah what are you doing truly <laughs> I've, I've 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 done hair now for you know 13 14 years and at no point have i ever done anything like this you know the the front door is all glass you know there's the two big glass panels next to the door my my window my two windows behind me are four foot by six foot so i mean they're it's, there's a lot of visibility, and so you very much feel on display. Mm -hmm. You know, cl we're clients and I myself are constantly looking at the door. Was it hard to get you know, used to? Very much so, and it still is over a year later. Um, you know, it, it never stops being odd, and and at the same time exciting. You know, it it, it, it there are definitely moments where it feels a little performancey because people are watching. Sure, you will get people that stand and watch. You will get photos taken. Um, 
that's that's all fun to me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I I don't I don't mind putting on a show. I don't mind kind of kind of dancing around a little bit and you know you know you cutting get some a, yeah user generated content. Out yeah, of exactly, it. absolutely. And so um, to me, it's it's creating it creates it it cultivates sustainable culture because you're doing something that is good marketing. That is that is good branding and that is good visibility, but you're doing it organically and naturally because you'd be doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just the way it operates. It's not we didn't plan this for. I mean, we obviously plan the glass for visibility, but we didn't plan the the idea of that for visibility. It's just I like big windows, mm -hmm. and so when they asked me how big I could make them, I said as big as you can possibly make them, and that was the size they gave me. So I said that's what we're going to do. You know, I was very very fortunate to be able to um, head up the design for the space, which I just did not expect. I figured you know I get to do the interior, but I mean they didn't draw a line of that place without running it by me and, and, and letting me literally take pen to paper and uh, or, or you know stylus to iPad and, uh, and and literally draw the space and that was a really really cool opportunity because I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of how it came out and you know it's never 100% to how you have it in your head and it's always going to be evolving but mm. to have the opportunity to create something and put your stamp on it and go that's that's mine and 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 I'm proud of it that's that's just such a humbling thing and, and such a cool thing that I that and the fact that people want to come look at it. You know, the fact yeah. that at the end of the day, I make no pretensions about the fact that I cut hair for a living and that is a, an errand for most people. You know, that's a, between work and home is, 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 is St. Anita. And so, but if I can make that experience something that they want to be a part of, that they want to participate in, participate in. I, I sign a lot of my social posts with, with "Thank you for participating," because and I and I mean it because mm -hmm. I think it's so cool that anyone would take any kind of interest in what I'm doing for a living. Yeah. And the fact that they are, and the fact that they're standing and watching and taking pictures and things like that, and and it, that creates organic, sustainable culture because you mean it. You know what I mean? We didn't we didn't create that for branding purposes. It, sure. It's something that we we did out of love of what we do and and so having that 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 experience working next to them has been really cool in facilitating that kind of interest, you know. It's and and that kind of culture, you know, and and I, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to them for that. That's great. Um and I'll say from my perspective, very very authentic, very very well done. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh are you still playing music? So um, the, I, I kind of, maybe. <laughs> we're we're going to find out soon. Um, ju just recently, the lead singer of my band from high school relocated to the Richardson area a couple years ago, and uh, so did the lead singer of a band that we used to tour with and play with on a regular basis. Um, both of these guys I've known since junior high, and we, we're all, you know, dads now. We all have careers. We all have things that, that kind of are at the forefront of our lives. We all still very much love music, and um, my my good friend Evan recently wrote a uh, a metal song based off of a Disney movie, uh, where he translated a lot of the lyrics and basically put them to this song. And we kind of messed around with it and recorded it. I, I screamed for the first time on a microphone. In, oh, Aladdin, yeah. right? Aladdin, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, he was watching the movie with his daughter, and and uh, he was like, "Man, Jafar says some brutal stuff." <laughs> and so uh, next thing you know, I'm I'm screaming in my studio. We actually recorded it in the studio. And uh, I, I recorded my vocals in there, and and it was tough. I, I didn't shatter those big windows with, with you know the I screams. I tried, <laughs> and uh, they rattled a little bit. And, but I I hadn't I hadn't screamed in about seventeen years, and so it took a lot out of me. And we had to do two sessions, but most of it was recorded in one take. So that was or well two takes with the two sessions, but. Um, 
it was a it was just so much fun that I, I had this idea. Both of the guys have have been into the studio in recent months, and you know we you know in my studio I, I get very personal with my clients. We talk about life, love, relationships, marriage, kids, all of these things. Um, you know we had all been kind of talking about stuff, inventing, and you know it becomes you know armchair therapy. And I had the idea of well, what if we started a, a, a music project? where you know i i've gotten to do hardcore bands and i've gotten to scream in bands and stuff they haven't really gotten to do that music when we were all playing music we were all kind of doing stuff more in the indie emo pop punk vein and and but they're both huge fans of that style as well so i came up with the idea of like what if we start a band um we all sing we all play our you know respective instruments and uh we write about the things we know now you know it's a youthful genre but it was like what if we take on the topics of of, of what we're living now you know marriage relationships Dad rock to the yeah absolutely arena. absolutely you know uh if lucero can do it for 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 <laughs> all rock why can't why can't we do it for this um so you know it, the idea was I, I liked that challenge because it would be easy to do what you know a jimmy at world or a lucero are doing where these are these are dads who are writing nostalgic ro- road trip songs yeah and, and they're perfect for that and it's beautiful what if we took on the challenge of translating that into hardcore music where it's more angular it's sharper it's more aggressive and and uh you know and it's angrier Mm -hmm. how do i scream about love you know or Mm -hmm. scream about marriage or scream about kids or you talk about the fears you talk about the the real stuff and this is a great way to channel that you know I I think having an outlet in life is so incredibly important and if it can give the three three dads who are you know former musicians an outlet then that's a really cool thing so we've talked about it Um, they're both you know very very interested in it we'll see if anything comes to fruition we haven't actually written or recorded anything I've been toying around with some playlists to kind of drive direction and you know they've been kind of writing some riffs and you know we'll see what comes of it but it's an exciting idea I you know, I, I truly, truly love music. I, I miss playing the drums. I miss screaming. I miss, I miss getting to do all those things. And, you know, obviously being almost 40, you know, I, I don't particularly plan on pursuing that as a career now that I've got what I'm doing now. But if I can get together with some friends in a post-COVID world and, and, and sing some songs and, and have fun doing it on a weekend, I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Doing all of these different things, do you ever have a problem staying productive do you ever get distracted with one part of your life by another part or how do you manage your your time and and like kind of those sections of your brain that uh, when, <laughs> they go into these different endeavors when i figure it out i, I will definitely let you know <laughs> um it's it's an everyday struggle you know something that we really we really haven't talked about a lot is is that i is that i am a father first um and at the end of the day everything that i've just discussed over the past however long is for that purpose it, it all leads to being able to be a father, all, all roads of everything that I'm doing. The fact that I get to be creative and the fact that I get to pursue creative expression and pursue all these endeavors and have fun doing them and people somehow for some reason pay me money to do them, um, it all is just a means of support for my child. So taking that on and then juggling all these other things is a constant balancing act. But the way I look at it, there's 24 hours in a day and you know I intend to fill them um, you yep. know, and, and make use of my time. So. It is, it is a juggling act. It is a lot of trial and error. I'm constantly failing. I'm constantly, you know, late or, or not showing up or missing something. You know, there's always something in the air that to, to kind of pull you back. But I feel like when you let those, those things that pull you backward continue to pull you backward, eventually you're going to fall backward and you're not going to get back up. And I'm always going to get back up. Yeah. I've, I've seen what it looks like when the lights aren't on. I've seen what it looks like to be cold. I've seen what it looks like to be hungry. I can handle this. 
I, I get to do what I want for a living. I get to I get to pursue what I you know I get to pursue what I want for a living as a fa- at, while being a father and support a family and support a household. I can handle a juggling act. You know what I mean. And so if I get to try all these different things, you'll figure out what works and what doesn't. You know. And another thing that we haven't mentioned throughout all of this is that I'm going back to school. You know, I, I, I had my first semester um, just this past fall, and uh, it didn't go well, <laughs> but it was a learning experience, and it taught me that I want to keep going. And so I'm taking this semester off while, while COVID is still a thing and trying to uh, navigate, first and foremost, right now, the business and, and, and uh, being a dad. And then um, I'll hopefully get, get to go back in the summer and, uh, and, and just pursue a degree online. So, What led um, you to go back to school and what are you studying? Uh, I'm studying sociology. Um, I, that, was, that was a decision born out of, I, I have a friend that I've known since junior high also who is a uh, professor of sociology. And it's just something we've always talked about and it's something that I've always had a great passion in. Um, I think I tend to think about um, society, politics, the world. I, I tend to think about a lot of those things from a sociological perspective and um, and how they impact people, how we evolve, how we interact. And so um, with this company, I do want to have outreach components to it. I do want to work civically in the community. I want to give back. I want to do I want to have charitable contributions. I want to do a lot of outreach for kids who come from areas that I do. And I am. I want to do all of that, understanding the systems that are in place that call for a desire for those things. Why do we need these programs? Yeah. What what made these programs necessary? I want to understand the the levels behind that from a societal perspective, and so um, that's that's where this idea came from to to go back and we'll see if it works. You know, it, this this one was really like you're adding a lot onto the pile here, <laughs> bud. So this yeah. this one was definitely a huge a, a huge uh, trial, and and it was tough. It was. It was a really tough semester. When I was active, it was going really well, and I was really enjoying it. But being active was really tough because I was also managing a studio during COVID and mm-hmm. also being a dad and needing mm-hmm. to do homework at the same time. You know, all of these things. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll sleep later. <laughs> so, What do you... What I see you, you know, on, like, Instagram uh, with your child with you mm-hmm. all, all the time. Mm-hmm. So what, as a parent... Um, what is your uh, experience exposing uh, your child to all these different areas kind of of things that make up who you are and what kind of lessons do you try to pass along, you know, through uh, everything you do professionally, but as a, as a parent? Um, man, what a great question. You know, I, I think, I think he, um, he gets to see a different approach to a career. You know, and there, and there's nothing wrong with with what obviously with the way people work. You know, a nine right. to five is a is a <laughs> such a noble thing, but I I just feel like I don't always have the mindset for. You know, and and he just kind of gets to see a different way of of dad going to work. You know, and and I love being able to walk him into my studio and go, this is dad's. You know, at the end of the day, I I love that he gets to see that, and 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 gets to see how hard I've worked to create something. And the fact that I can put uh, his picture on the wall there or put my name's, my mom's name on the door and him see that. He sees how important family is. Mm-hmm. He sees how important community is. You know, I, I talk to him a lot about the stuff that I talk about, you know, in this conversation, that I've talked about in this conversation, you know, about community, about, about um, you know, fellowship and things like that. And, and I, he gets to experience those same things. You know, I, I have him in the chair every few weeks, you know, and, and, and clean him up and all that kind of stuff. And I try to treat him like a client and he, and he gets to see those things. Um, 
you know, when I was bartending also, I, you know, during the day, if I had meetings or something, you know, I might take him with me and he just gets to meet a lot of cool people. And like, you know, those guys are all family to me. You know, one of them has become a roommate. And, um, and so he gets to, you know, have a lot of uncles and, uh, and have a lot of family and, and it's just more people to love on him. So, you know, I, I don't know what the long-term uh, effects of all this will be. If it was just like, my dad was a scatterbrained maniac, but, um, <laughs> But, you know, I think it's a unique perspective for him to have to to to, to have in terms of just watching dad go to work in the morning. Yeah. You know, I, I think it um, hopefully will lead to him wanting to um, adventure and um, and try a lot of different things. I try to introduce him a lot of different things. We have a lot of shared passions. And um, so I, I love being able to see have him see somebody pursue a lot of different things and hopefully that'll lead him to try a lot of different things experiment travel you know and and pursue what he's passionate about mm. you know not unfor- unfortunately not everybody gets to do what they're passionate about for a living yeah. and, and and i hope that as he sees as he grows up he sees dad doing that and it and it and it imparts on him a desire to pursue what he's passionate about yeah you know? so moving forward i know long term you want to do some outreach kind of things and, mm-hmm. you're, and you're doing the school uh mm-hmm. is there anything else maybe uh closer on the horizon coming up that you're excited about or, or any any projects or ideas yeah so around? i'm uh, i operate san anita in seasons um in terms of the all these different you know kind of creative conceptual things that i'm working on i felt like the best way to rein those in and kind of not just go nuts all the time constantly doing new things and stuff that's a that can be exhausting to a client you know mm-hmm. and so I, I i felt like the most concise way to present these things was to operate the company in seasons kind of similar to like a fashion house or something like that so the idea um became presenting editorial work you know photography um playlists you know soundtracks to the studio basically retail stuff I, i'm making candles now and mm-hmm. and um and and hopefully in the future we'll be making hair product and you know all of these different things so the idea became let's let's release these things at the same time let's theme them let's conceptualize them so i'm working on season two um which is going to be um my big kind of social statement um i've, I've had this idea that i've been toying around with pretty much since the um, protests were going on in dallas and around the country and uh and we were seeing a lot of upheaval um you know at a grassroots level um i i felt like you know, it was tough to not get out there and be on the streets with it because I, I, I do have a career. I do have a son. I do have a family that I want to go home to. So putting yourself in that kind of danger can be, you know, kind of a tricky thing. And so it was like, what can, where do I feel like my role is in this? And, and at, to that end, what do I have to say? And the biggest thing that I found from having these, you know, really intense one hour conversations with my client, you can imagine, um, you know, post quarantine and, and during the protests, my clients are coming in with a lot on their hearts and a lot on their minds yeah. and, and they're unloading it on me. And I was going home and trying to still educate myself on the things that were going on. Is that tough? Is it just like exhausting? It was physically and mentally draining. I was, I was, I was going home just exhausted some days and not understanding why. And, and after a while I realized what I was kind of taking in, you know, and, and, and it, it got tough, but at the same time, it also got very inspiring, you know, because it became so tough to educate myself at the end of the day and to read what I wanted to read a lot of my news was coming from from my clients and a lot of my information was coming from my clients and so then it was like pulling bits and pieces and I started to form new ideas and the thing that I was learning it, for me personally felt like we're all speaking about the same things and we all have the same general desires in life but we have very different ways of achieving them yeah. to the point now in this in the divisive world that we're in now to the point where we're speaking in black and white 
I don't listen to you, you don't listen to me, we don't listen to each other. If you do try to talk to me and you don't say what I want to hear, I block you, I cancel you, we do not speak anymore, I'm disassociating from you. Well, you can't, how, you can't ever empathize with somebody in that situation. Yeah. You, if you can't listen to somebody, you can't empathize with somebody, if you can't empathize with somebody... why they might think the Exactly. Way they Where are they coming from? Who are they? What, what is their upbringing? What are, you know, all of those different things. What are their values? What are their morals? What are their ethics? Those are things that we don't discuss these days. And so it became, for me, the idea became, if we're, if we're speaking in a black and white world, then I want to find a way to speak in new colors. And so that's this campaign that I've created is, is called Speak in New Colors. The idea being that we need to find new ways to get out ideas, to come to the table and speak to each other, to learn to empathize with each other, and ultimately create a better society by communicating properly. So it's going to be, um, there's going to be, uh, to that end, I decided that this is going to be the most collaborative thing that I've ever done. Um, you know, working with multiple designers from different backgrounds, working with models from different backgrounds. Um, all of the shirts are going to be in literally in different colors, no black and white shirts even. You know, like mm -hmm. the idea is to present it in all fronts, have an editorial that is created by people from different backgrounds and, 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 and shoot that so that people can see the people that were creating that coming from different backgrounds, showing diversity through hair texture. You know, um, working with models from all different walks of life and showing just how beautiful all of their hair is and, and all the different ways and how that translates, you know, as metaphorically into us as people. Mm. And, and, and it's literally me speaking in new colors. It's me finding yeah. a bunch of different ways to express this idea that, that I really feel is something that we're not talking about enough. We're talking about the issues. We're not talking about the issues. You know, we're yelling about the issues, mm. but we're not talking to each other right we're, we're, we're either preaching to the choir or we're talking to a brick wall and we've got to break down that brick wall and so if i can break it down with graffiti and and a, you know paint a bunch of colors on it with a message with a message then that's that's the way i'll go about it and and i think that's where i can be of service to the to the community and so that's 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 coming up on the horizon we're, we're just getting started with that and getting the ball rolling i'm trying to obviously that's a broad idea yeah and so i right now the, the goal is to rein it in i've I, I originally wanted to release it in the fall of this past year was unable to do so just with everything going on and and so now i'm i'm, I'm kind of reining in the people that are going to be working on it discussing the ideas with my creative directors and uh and trying to figure out what that looks like timeline wise financially and uh and what's going to be the final releases and, and things like that so hopefully um maybe mid to late spring early summer i could see i could see it actually um coming to fruition and being released so a lot of really cool ideas that i've been i've been kicking around with that that, that i'll be excited to uh to to for everybody to see yeah awesome yeah. i'd be excited to uh to see them absolutely uh so where can people find you where can people find your company social media websites anything like that yeah so i have um all of all everything you can need to know about the company is um on my website saint and Co. Um, that's dot co. Um, Instagram is at Saint Anita TX, um, and uh, I think those are the two. Uh, Instagram is kind of my main means of, of communication with my clientele. I don't really use Facebook too too much. Um, the website is is always updated, online booking, and all of the different things that I do, photos, all that good stuff. So those are those are the two uh, main ways that I am I am reachable. Cool. Thank you, Henry. Absolutely. Everybody, that's been Henry Jerome Mendoza of St. Anita. Uh, check them out. Check out Killer Coffee at killercoffee.com, and we'll see you all next time. Thank Peace. you.